10 years ago, pretty nearly to the day or the week or whenever you're listening to this, I released the first episode of The Memory Palace. We had just had a baby in October of that year. I must have been sitting on the episode for a while because I really can't imagine getting it done in the fog of those early days as a new parent. And I honestly don't remember. But I put out an episode of The Memory Palace and then episode two not long after. And I did with very little plan. Mostly because I could. After years of working in public radio, working on other people's shows, which was great, by and large, I wanted to make something of my own. And podcasting let me do that. There was suddenly a technology that meant that I didn't have to have any gatekeepers or editors. And if there was a goal beyond carving out a space for something solely mine, as my wife was about to go back to work and my time working at home was no longer going to be entirely my own to vastly understate the change going on in our lives. If there was a goal at the time, it was to create a calling card. I had a dream of making an hour-long history magazine show that would air on your public radio station after This American Life or Car Talk or whatever. And the Memory Palace would help demonstrate that I had a take, that I might be a good host for this future show. But relatively quickly, I learned three things. The first was that I was not going to be able to create that show. And the reasons for that are bureaucratic and institutional and really not at all interesting, so I'll just leave them there. The second was that there wasn't going to be any money in this, and I'll leave that here for a second with the intention of picking it back up in a moment. And third, and by far the thing that has proved to be the most important over and over and over again over this last decade, was that I love making these stories. That this was the show, that there was not an hour-long version of it. This was it. These odd, earnest, probably overly earnest, idiosyncratic little stories. This was what I did. It was going to be what I do. And people, some version of enough people like them. And that has never stopped feeling like something of a wonder. So thank you for listening, whenever you started listening. And thank you for listening to this message here. And uh, beyond this thank you, there are two purposes for this special little episode bonus thing. One is about money and one is about art, but they do go hand in hand. Uh, We at Radiotopia are starting our annual fundraiser right now. We are, I am, asking you to support what we do. We are individually owned businesses. We are a collective of podcasts made by people who have all made a bet on ourselves and our work, that there is a place for us in podcasting, that our work is valued and worth the support of both advertisers and most importantly, our audience. So if you are able to do, I do ask that you support what I do by supporting the network that makes it possible. And by donating whatever you can at radiotopia.fm, it is tax deductible. Once again, that is radiotopia.fm. You just click on donate once you get there. It is the support of you, of the listeners to the show, that make it what it is. And I mean that literally. The first several episodes of the show... I was, in a way, doing a public radio version of clickbait. And I'm not even sure that you could hear it. Like, the show has been weird from the jump. But I was at least behind the scenes trying to figure out how to make it fit into public radio. Trying to make them a length that could best serve the needs of the editors of public radio magazine shows. Like, looking for timely events and news items and anniversaries and stuff. Upon which to hang and hopefully promote an individual story. But along the way, I realized that people like the stories the way they were. People would write in and, and 
tell me that they were connecting with the stories and sometimes they were connecting with the stories that were the squarest pegs that I was trying to fit into the round holes of public radio. And there was one story, and I'm going to play it for you in a second, when something kind of clicked for me. In June of 2009, I had a really strong run of three episodes, if I don't say so myself. Um, This is episodes 11, 12, and 13. But it was the one in the middle, episode 12, called These Words Forever, that more than any kind of defined possibility, showed me what the show could do, what kinds of stories it might be able to tell, and how they could be animated by the smallest idea if they were, I don't know, like beautiful enough. That beauty alone not only could be reason enough, that reaching for it each time out might be the whole point. So here is a simple story. The sound quality is weirdly janky. My voice is in a higher register, which I could say has lowered with age or wisdom over these past 10 years. But the truth be told, if you listen to the very last line of the story, you can kind of hear the bridge to my current lower register. I kind of read the line funny, that last line. Read it kind of extra dramatic. (laughs) And then I just decided to keep it. I figured this is a simple medium, um, this little format that I've got going on here. I've got three tools. I've got music, I've got writing, and I've got my voice. And if I'm spending all this time wrestling with my writing and the music, shouldn't I be taking more advantage of my voice? As a public radio reporter, um, the mode of the day, at least in the United States, is this sort of conversationality. That's what you're striving for. You are an informed, friendly stranger. But what if it was a performance? And I kind of stumbled into one in this story. And it is kind of nice to hear that little moment. Almost a decade later, this medium does have a way of conjuring the past. This is the Memory Palace. I'm Nate DeMeo. Now the voice of Jack Finn. No greater honor can be bestowed upon any man than the quality of the achievements he bequeathed to posterity. Marconi is dead, but his work will live forever. Guillermo Marconi is the father of radio. He didn't really invent it. He gets much more credit than he deserves, but whatever. Guillermo Marconi was the father of radio in the eyes of the world. He was a hero on a scale that Italy hadn't seen since the Renaissance. I have a postcard that I found in my grandfather's attic after he died. It has a picture of Marconi on the front and a message in Italian on the back, encouraging immigrants like my grandfather's family to express their pride in their countrymen by investing in the Marconi company. He was celebrated all over the world. He dined with presidents and kings and captains of industry and beautiful women, the whole thing. He shared a Nobel Prize. Mussolini was the best man at a second wedding, which I'm sure felt like a good idea at the time. But we're told that in his 60s, Somewhere around the time of his fourth or fifth heart attack, the inventor began to think about mortality. Or rather, he began to think about immortality. Marconi became convinced that sound never dies. That sound waves once emitted from a radio, from the vibrating strings of a Stradivarius, from whispering lovers, from a baby discovering how to make a ba or gus sound for the first time. Sound lived on forever, its waves flowing permanently, but growing weaker and weaker with each moment. He just hadn't built a radio powerful enough to tune in the signal. Now, this is wrong, but it wasn't entirely foolish. One of the things that had made Marconi so famous was the sinking of the Titanic. 
706 people were rescued from the icy water after radio men on nearby ships heard its distress signal. Newspapers around the world credited Marconi as their savior. Now, one of those radio men working the night shift on a Russian steamer heard the signal through his headphones more than an hour and a half after it was sent. This was just a physical anomaly, atmospheric conditions or whatnot. But here was Marconi near the end of his life, growing weaker and weaker with each heart attack, dreaming of a device that would let him hear lost sounds, let him tap into these eternal frequencies. He would tell people that if he got it right, he could hear Jesus of Nazareth giving the Sermon on the Mount, but he would be able to hear everything ever said, everything he ever said. At the end of his life, he could sit in his piazza in Rome and hear everything that was ever said to him or about him. He could relive every toast and testimonial. And we all could hear everything. Hear Caesar, hear Shakespeare give an actor a line reading. Hear my grandmother introduce herself to my grandfather in a nightclub in Rhode Island. Hear someone tell you that they love you, that first time they told you they love you. Hear everything forever. <laughs>